Hey guys, quick reminder here, it's Tyler York from Achievable. Uh, If you love our podcast or love uh, Brandon's work as he explains the Finner SIE here, um, we highly recommend him as a tutor, which you can reach him at basicwisdom.net. Or if you'd like to use uh, the course that we developed together, which is a course for your phone or computer, uh, to pass the FINRA SIE, you can try it for free at achievable.me. Thank you. Hi there, everyone. My name is Brandon, founder and creator of Basic Wisdom. Uh, Simply put, my company helps people pass difficult financial exams. And I've also partnered with Achievable, of course, to revolutionize how this material is taught. And if you haven't checked it out already, we have an SIE product available not only on basicwisdom.net, but also achievable.me. Check that stuff out if you're interested. And I'm I'm sure you're probably listening to this podcast to gather some information on the SIE, and I'm more than happy to go over that today. My goal today is to go over the categories and even some specific topics that show up pretty often on most people's SIE exam. And if you don't know what SIE stands for, that stands for the Securities Industry Essentials exam. Uh, This is an exam that FINRA recently put out back in October of 2018 as an entry-level exam to give you an idea of the type of information you need to know going into an entry-level finance position. There's a lot of information that can be gathered about the SIE exam. I end up working with a lot of people that sit for this exam. Uh, I tutor on a a seven-day-a-week basis, and a lot of my students are people who are preparing for the SIE, and, and I end up talking to them before and after the exam. While I don't discuss specifics, and that's mostly because FINRA has a bunch of rules that say, no, you can't talk about specific questions on the exam, uh, I certainly get a good idea of whether or not my students felt like they were adequately prepared or if there were some areas of the exam that they felt uncomfortable with. In addition to the information I get about the SIE from people I work with, I also get a vast amount of information from FINRA itself. First and foremost, FINRA puts a content outline, which certainly you can go out there and and find that content outline. Uh, I think to the untrained eye, you might look at that and feel very overwhelmed. Uh, A lot of times they'll just tell you, hey, we're going to test on FINRA rule, blah, 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 or this regulation. And if you were to go on a Google search or a Wikipedia search for those rules or regulations that they're quoting, you'll see that a lot of times these rules and regulations are pages and pages and pages of information. Well, unless you've been working in the industry or doing something like I've been doing in terms of teaching people how to pass these exams, you won't know exactly what FINRA is going to cover in those areas. So again, you can take a look at the content outline. It might give you some information of what to expect, but honestly, if you're new to the industry, I think the content outline will probably scare you uh, more than prepare you. A better source of information is actually FINRA's practice exam. And yes, if you didn't know that, FINRA has an SIE practice exam right on their website, free to take. You can take it as many times as you want. Uh, The only problem is it's literally the same 75 questions that you take every single time. I don't know if they update it every now and then. Uh, If you go on their website, it'll say version four of their SIE practice exam. But I've been looking at this test for the last two months. It's literally never changed. 
wherever you found this podcast, whether it was on the Basic Wisdom website, Achievables website, or even YouTube, there should be a link to a document that will give you an idea of all the different topics that are covered on the SIE exam. And yes, I was nice enough to help you out. Um, I spent a bunch of time going through that exam and categorizing the different areas that the exam focused on. And also, there are links to every single question that they show on that practice exam. So uh, check it out. I I think that's a great resource, free for you to use. You're welcome, yes. I highly recommend you check out that document, at the very least to understand the big topics and big areas of the exam that you should really be prepared for. Even though it's a practice exam and your test is inevitably going to feel at least a little bit different than it, if not much different. I I, I think that FINRA would not put a practice exam out there that's just drastically different than the real exam. A lot of times vendors, myself included, you know, for, for the SIE product that Achievable put out in partnership with me, our goal was to make our questions sound exactly like the real exam. But to be honest, there's no better place to go than FINRA. They write the exam questions, so I'm sure the practice exam is going to feel fairly close. And at the very least, you'll get an idea of what the wording is and how they set up their questions. So I'm going to speak mostly from that document. Feel free to follow along when you look at the document, or again, just make sure you look at it at some point in time. It's very valuable for anyone taking the SIE exam. So uh, what's the breakdown? What, What did I find were the most important categories. And I'm going to start from the top of this document and move the way down. And whether you have it in front of you or not, this podcast should still work. Actually, one more thing before we jump into the categories. Uh, it's very important to understand what the structure to the exam is. Um, the SIE exam is a 85-question test, but 10 of those questions are just what they call experimental. They don't count for anything. Sometimes it's material that they haven't even put in their outline or you haven't even read in your materials. And a lot of times they're just putting those questions out there to see how you answer them. And they might be topics that they'll cover in future versions of the exam. So we have 85 questions on the actual test. Only 75 of them will count towards your final grade. The 10 experimental questions, doesn't matter if you answer them right or wrong. It literally doesn't count for anything. And by the way, you're also not going to know which ones are the experimental questions, which I I think is kind of tough. Uh, so test taking tip for you. If you come across a question that just doesn't make sense or it's something that you've never seen before, don't freak out. There's 10 of the 85 questions that are on there that are probably covering areas that you've never even seen before. That is to be expected on the exam. The FINRA practice exam is only 75 questions. They do that because those are the amount of questions that are going to count towards your grade. So I've broken down the practice exam based upon the 75 questions that they gave, and I'm going to start from the most important categories, maybe talk about some specifics, and then move on from there. Uh, The most tested category on the SIE is rules and ethics. 14 of the 75 questions that were on the FINRA practice exam came from this area. And if you're wondering what is within that rules and ethics section, I'm just going to name a few of the specific topics that they covered. The most tested topics were communications with the public. And a lot of times those questions are focused on uh, if you're sending a letter to 30 people or if you're taking out an ad in the newspaper, what do you need to do as a registered rep? Uh, And the other area that there were multiple questions on was insider information. 
which even if you're new to the industry, you've probably heard of insider information. I mean, heck, they threw Martha Stewart in jail for inside information or insider trading. So uh, those are the most tested topics within rules and ethics. And there's just a bunch of random stuff in between. Uh, You'll see some things on anti-money laundering. Uh, You'll see some things about what you can and can't do with a license or without a license. You'll learn a little bit about what the Financial Crime Enforcement Network does. And there's some other random things in there. But anything dealing with random rules and ethics regarding you as a registered representative and working in finance, that is where most of your questions are going to come from. I also think it's to be expected that you'll see a lot of questions that are very situational in this area, meaning, you know, here's a situation, you're a registered representative, what should you do in this situation? Or what must you do? in this situation. Those are the types of questions that are most frequent uh, on the exam. And given that this is a very entry-level version of a test that they're giving you, I think that pretty much makes sense, right? The second most important section, right behind rules and ethics, with 13 of your 75 questions, was fixed income. And if you've ever heard of a bond, this is what we're talking about. A lot of people hate this section. Uh, It's not terribly sexy. There's not a lot of fun things to learn about when it comes to bonds. Uh, But at the same time, I also think that a lot of people just don't understand bonds. And that's what drives a lot of the frustration. Yeah, they're not the most interesting things in the world. But at the same time, they're one of those things that if you give it enough effort, and you put a and you do enough research on this section, it really shouldn't be that tough. Again, All the questions here are very basic, very fundamental fixed income type questions. Uh, There there were a lot of random areas that were tested in the fixed income section. There was only one concept within fixed income that they tested more than once, and that was callable bonds. If you don't know what a callable bond is, it's basically a bond that has a feature where the issuer, whether it's a company or a government, uh, whoever sold the bond, essentially, they have the right to end the bond earlier than expected. Now, if all of that was foreign to you and you have no idea what I was just talking about, get access to our SIE program. There's a great section in there about fixed income that'll really help you understand what a bond is and, and, uh, and how to approach these types of questions. Uh, but beyond callable bonds, there was just a bunch of random stuff in there. Uh, you know, what's short-term debt? What's a money market? Uh, how often does this type of bond pay interest? What's a variable rate demand note? Uh, you know, what are the different agency type of securities? And when they say agency, I'm talking about federal agency securities out there. So a lot of random areas, but all tying back to anything dealing with fixed income. You know, if you don't like this section, I got some bad news for you. Uh, whether you go on to the series six or series seven or any of the other top off exams, you're likely going to see a fair amount of information, especially if you go on to the series seven that relate back to bonds. So this is a preview, get used to it. And if, uh, if you don't do well with it, then do some research or reach out for help. Uh, the next section uh, that was most testable, number three was equity. Uh, nine of their 75 questions came from equity. And if you don't know what I mean by equity, just think stock. A stock is an equity type of an investment. Whether or not you're new to finance, you probably thought of the stock market when you first started thinking about working in in this world. And yeah, a a bunch of questions came from these types of investments. Now, it was interesting. There were a few areas that they heavily tested on within the equity section. 
the most tested was surprisingly stock splits. There are three questions on stock splits within the material. Uh, And a stock split is when a company does something that either increases the amount of shares outstanding or decreases the amount of shares they have outstanding. And that would be referred to as a reverse stock split. This might be the only area that you actually pull your calculator out for. There's some in math involved for some of these questions. And yeah, I think most people are going to see at least one, if not two or three questions on the real exam uh, relating back to stock splits. I really don't think you'll see more than three, but you know, crazier things have happened. Uh, there were also multiple questions on rights and warrants, uh, both of which are things that give you the right to buy stock at a fixed price. Uh, it's kind of like a coupon from a store right? Like if I have a coupon to buy a bag of apples for four bucks, that means I have the right to buy apples at a fixed price of $4. Uh, Rights and warrants are basically the same thing, except switch out apples with stock. There's a few questions there. Uh, The remaining questions are on, on, on random topics. A lot of times there weren't a lot of questions on, you know, what's a stock or what's a stock market in particular. Um, There were questions on what's a tender offer, Uh, what's the voting structure of a corporation? Uh, What's that like? Uh, There was also a question about a stock dividend, which if you've never heard about that, it's a dividend where you get more shares of stock in the company that you own. That was the feeling that I got from equity. A lot of random stuff, but a specific focus on stock splits and rights and warrants for whatever reason. The next section was customer accounts. Seven questions came from this area. And when I say customer accounts, I'm talking, okay, if a customer shows up at a brokerage firm today and wants to open this type of an account, you know, what type of, what, what type of registrations do they have available to them? Uh, how often do people send statements out? If a customer brings more than $10,000 of cash to deposit into an account, what do we need to file with the government? Uh, those were the types of questions that, that you will see from that section. Even though some of this wasn't covered on the practice exam, uh, I do expect most people to see questions on things like, what's a fiduciary account? Or what do you need to open a guardianship account? Uh, the specifics with custodial accounts, specifics with different types of joint accounts, etc. So make sure you know that information pretty well. Uh, There was no topic within customer accounts that came with multiple questions. Again, it just felt like a bunch of random stuff, just covering different types of accounts and registrations that you can open at a brokerage firm. Next, we have the primary market. Uh, The primary market is where securities are sold for the very first time. Now, I don't know when you're listening to this, but if it's uh, anywhere near May 2019, uh, the most recent IPO, uh, initial public offering, Uh, that happened was Uber. Uber decided to go public, which is, uh, I guess, fancy way of saying, hey, we got a company that's selling ownership in the company in return for cash. So Uber sold a bunch of stock to the public. I don't know how much they raised, probably multiples of billions of dollars that they raised. And uh, the primary market covers all that process. What does it take for a company to go through the process of selling a security to the public? Uh, By the way, if you don't know what the word security means, that's a stock, a bond, a mutual fund. Those are all examples of securities. 
And you can easily replace the word security with investment. Uh, but there are a lot of rules, regulations, and just general knowledge that you'll need to know about this market. Uh, the Securities Act of 1933, which is the law that covers the things that you should and shouldn't do and must do when a uh, when a company or an institution is selling something to the public for the first time. Uh, so yeah, I expect you to see at least one question coming from that specific legislation. Uh, and if you read through your materials, you're going to see that mentioned a fair amount in there. Uh, but everything else beyond that, again, felt kind of random. Uh, there are questions on syndicates, and syndicates are groups of institutions that sell securities to the public on behalf of issuers. So let me translate that for you. Uber hired Morgan Stanley. They were one of a few underwriters and Morgan Stanley helped Uber sell their stock to the public because Uber is in the business of getting you from point A to point B, whereas Morgan Stanley is in the business of helping big companies like Uber sell stock to the public. So there are a bunch of rules and regulations that come along with that whole world. There are certain things that issuers must do. There are certain things that underwriters must do. Bottom line, you have to have a general knowledge of what's going on and what rules you got to follow when you go through that process. Next, we have the secondary market. Four of the 75 questions came from this area. And yes, this is the market that trades things after they're bought by the public for the first time. So as an example, if you bought Uber stock through its initial public offering directly from Morgan Stanley and then sold it the next day, you'd be selling that stock in the secondary market. Uh, as an analogy, I kind of think of it like this. Um, if you're buying a lawnmower, for the very first time, you would go to Home Depot, buy a lawnmower, and then use it, right? That would be like the primary market. You're buying the lawnmower, it's the first time it's ever been sold, brand new. Uh, and then maybe a couple months later, you don't need the lawnmower anymore, or you're just tired of it, and you go on Craigslist and you sell it. Craigslist is the secondary market. Uh, same thing with stocks. There's a place where you buy the stock for the very first time it's ever been owned by anyone, and then there's the secondary market where people buy and sell those securities after that. The secondary market didn't have a bunch of themes in it other than just, hey, this is where securities trade after they've been sold for the first time. There were questions on spreads, bid asks, also some questions on market makers, which are uh, basically businesses that trade directly with the public and make money doing so. And there were also some questions on the different capacities that financial firms can take on when they trade with the public. If you've ever heard the term agency or principal, then there was one question on the exam that covered that. Uh, and as you go further on in your career and further on to take other exams, that's an area that I expect you to see a lot. So, so get used to agency versus principal. Definitely check out the question on the practice exam, if not on the document that I was referencing in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, the next section, and here's another section that I get a lot of complaints about and a lot of people struggle with, options. Four of the 75 questions on the exam were options. Options are a tough area for a lot of people. In my experience, about 25% of the people that study options will just get it immediately. Uh, you'll probably read through the section and think, oh, geez, why is everyone struggling with this? Um, if you're, if you have friends going through the process as well, you know, one out of every four people are going to think it's a piece of cake, roll through it. And you're inevitably going to hope that your entire test is options. And congratulations if that's you, you're the minority 
And I hope that's that's you, especially if you're going on to this Series 7, because that's a huge part of the Series 7. For the SIE, you're probably not going to see anything more than five to six questions. Uh, given that the practice exam had four, I'd expect most people to see about four questions on their test. For the other 75% of us that read options and just don't get it, uh, I got some bad news for you. It's probably going to take you days, if not weeks, to get good at options. But there's a silver lining with the SIE. You only need to know the very basics. And yes, options are a very math-heavy field, uh, but I don't really expect you to pull your calculator out much. I mean, maybe for one question. Most of the time, the questions are focused on what type of strategy is it? Is it bullish or is it bearish? And by the way, bullish is when we think the market's going to go up. Bearish is when we think the market's going to go down. Um, Other questions were things like, oh, if you're going to buy an option as an opening purchase, how do you get rid of it later? Spoiler alert, closing sale. There were also some questions on hedging strategies, which is where you use an option to protect a stock position. There was also a question on income strategies where you are selling an option against a stock position, typically to make money in a flat or neutral market. If any of that made any sense, then those are the areas that I think that you're going to see in the exam. Again, this is not an area that I think you should put too much effort into for the SIE. And don't freak out. Um, I mean, if you're just thinking about the numbers, let's say you get five option questions on the exam, you could literally fail every single option question they give you on the SIE and still pass with flying colors. Uh, You would need to be stronger in the other areas, but, you know, not a big deal on this exam. Of course, if you go on to the Series 7, different story. The next section was investment companies, and every single question essentially was about a mutual fund in one way or another. Uh, Yeah, there are other types of investment companies out there like unit investment trusts and face amount certificates, etc. But every single investment company question on the SIE practice exam was about a mutual fund in one way or another. Uh, So definitely make sure you know at least the basics uh, with that type of stuff. Uh, Letter of intent, uh, breakpoints, share classes, uh, what an index fund is. Those are all areas that I think you're going to see some questions on. Next, suitability. Three of the 75 questions were from suitability. And if you've never heard that term before, suitability is basically a recommendation. Uh, Any question that you get that involves analyzing what a risk is or investment objectives or, hey, here's a client situation, what would you recommend? Uh, Those are the types of suitability questions I expect you to see. Uh, And this is a good primer for the Series 7 if that is the exam you're going on to. Suitability is the most tested topic on the Series 7, so this is a foundation that you need to build and get better and better at if you're going on to that top-off exam. Every suitability question that was on this practice exam was risk-focused. So as an example, you know, hey, which of the following securities is most subject to this risk? That's your type of suitability question in this exam. Make sure you know your risks pretty well. Next, and surprisingly, um, I didn't expect there to be a lot of insurance questions, but there were three insurance-based questions on the exam. Two of them were on variable contracts. And whether we're talking about variable annuities or variable life insurance, the questions came from just understanding what a variable contract comes with. If you've ever heard the term separate account or 
just understood the idea that insurance and finance a lot of times overlap uh, with these types of products, uh, then you probably have a pretty good idea of what they're going to ask you on the SIE exam. Yeah, you're going to get some questions on variable contracts, and also you're going to get some questions on annuities in general. The next section, economics. Two questions on economics. No, you don't need a PhD in econ. No, you don't need to go break out your old college books uh, or call your uh, macro econ professor. This stuff is basic. There was one question on GDP, specifically what a recession was. Uh, And there was also a question on what the Federal Reserve does whenever things start changing in the economy. Very basic econ, not necessarily easy, but nothing too advanced, uh, especially if you know a little bit about econ and how crazy that world can get. Now, the rest of the sections uh, are all single digit questions, and I just couldn't put them in any other bucket. So everything I'm about to go through is on the lighter side of testability on the exam, and just not terribly important. And I think you'll be happy to hear a couple of things I'm going to mention in here. For for these last several categories I'm going to go through, don't put a bunch of effort in these sections. You don't want to become an expert in, say, margin, which is literally the next section I'm going to talk about. There was one question on initial deposits and meeting your initial requirement, some of which relates to Regulation T, some of which relates to FINRA requirements. Uh, And if you don't know what a margin account is, it's basically an account where you borrow money to invest into the market. A lot of people come to me and ask me to run them through a margin crash course for the SIE. And the first thing I'll always say is, are you sure you want to spend time and money on going through a topic where you're probably going to only see one question on? Don't spend a lot of time in this area. I would even say the same thing on the Series 7 if you're going on to that exam. Margin is an area that rarely will make or break you. Now, granted, I have had some people tell me that they wish they spent more time on margin when they came back from the Series 7, but that's probably one out of every 50 people, maybe even one out of every 100. Margin should not make or break you on any FINRA exam. Uh, Next, state laws and regulations. Uh, If you've ever heard the term blue sky... Yeah, we have to understand the very, very, very basics when it comes to the laws and regulations that apply only at the state level. You won't find a lot of information in the achievable materials about state laws, uh, mainly because there's only a few things they really test on if you even get a question on that area. So again, don't spend a lot of time on this. You know, the next section, this actually surprised me. There was only one question on retirement accounts. I would have expected FINRA to give us a little bit more there. And in fact, I do expect a fair amount of people to see more than just one question on retirement accounts. This is the only one question area that I would tell you to maybe be a little bit more careful on and know know your traditional IRAs, uh, know a little bit about qualified plans know a little bit about your defined contribution and your defined benefit plans. That might be a a little bit smoke and mirrors with this practice exam. We only have three more sections to go through, so we're almost done. Uh, But there was one question on direct participation programs. Uh, If you've never heard of a DPP before, um, maybe you've heard of a limited partnership. But these are business structures that are very unique. A lot of times they just want you to know the basic tax structure or why people invest in DPPs. Nothing too crazy. Next, There was one question on taxes. It was pretty basic. It was a cost basis specifically focused on inherited securities. Good news for people out there that just hate taxes. 
Not a lot on the SI exam I would expect you to see. Uh, bad news, your top-off exam is probably going to have a bunch more on taxes. Nothing terribly insane, but you're going to see some more. And last, and this was one that I was kind of surprised by, but there was a question on currency exchange, specifically about exchanging one currency to another. I really wouldn't expect most people to see too many currency exchange questions, uh, but this one specifically focused on something called the spot rate, which is just the rate today that you could exchange one currency for another. Nothing too complicated, And to be honest, this would probably be the opposite to what I was just saying with retirement accounts. I don't think most people are going to see currency exchange questions on the exam. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is just a random one that FINRA put on their practice exam just to maybe mess with you a little bit. And that is the end of the list. Before you go, let me give you some parting thoughts on what I think would make the best and most efficient study process. Of course, you got to make it through your reading materials. Uh, I know... Sometimes the material is not the most exciting or the most intuitive information that you're reading, but you have to make your way through all the reading material, whether using Achievable or any other vendor program. And then on top of that, as you're doing your final preparation for the SIE exam, it's best if you're focusing on the most testable areas. And let's do a quick recap. The top three most tested areas are rules and ethics, 14 of your 75 questions, Fixed income, 13 of your 75 questions. And equity, also known as stock, 9 of your test questions. Now, if you add up all those numbers, 14 plus 13, 27 plus 9 is 36, that's a little bit less than half of the exam. If you focus on those three areas and get really strong in those three areas, well, you're strong in half the exam. And remember, this is a test that comes with four choices and inevitably Even if you're just doing a blind guess, you're going to get 25% of those questions right just by guessing. So focus on those top three areas and make sure that you are as strong as possible in those top three areas. On the other side, don't spend significant amount of times in your less tested areas. Don't spend significant amount of times in margin. Don't spend significant amount of times in currency exchanges. Don't spend a lot of time on state laws and regulations. Those are all areas that are not going to get you very far in the exam. Hopefully, this gives you a really good understanding of what the most likely testable topics are on the actual exam. Again, check out the document that's available wherever you found this podcast. Uh, It breaks everything down gives you a visual of everything that I've talked about on this podcast, and also includes links to pictures of all these questions that FINRA puts out there. I think this is a great preparation tool. Uh, And also, I'd recommend that you go to FINRA's website and you take the practice exam. And I'll include the link on every part of every website that this podcast is available on. Go take it, see how you do. Generally speaking, if you're scoring above a 70 on that practice exam, the chances are you're probably going to pass the exam. But if you want to be thoroughly prepared, uh, the best way is just to go into your materials, see as many questions as you can. Once you start scoring in the mid to high 70s on your practice exams, whether that's through FINRA or through Achievable, or wherever, that's when you're ready to take the test. Of course, the Fender exam never changes, so if you take it once, review it, and figure out where you went right, where you went wrong, and then retake it, you need to see different questions every time you sit for a practice exam. And see enough, work on it enough, and eventually you'll make it past this, and that'll be your first step into breaking into finance. 
If you have any questions about anything, feel free to reach out. Uh, my name is Brandon Rith. Once again, you can go to basicwisdom.net to get my contact information. Again, check out achievable.me. Uh, and I partnered with Achievable to put out a fantastic new program that we think is better than anything out there on the market, technologically speaking, materials wise, and just the amount of information and the amount of questions you can go through on our program. So check it out. Give us some feedback. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, that's all I have for you today. Good luck with your studies and I'll talk to you soon.